0: folks. Good morning. How are you? You're awake. All right. Because Memphis won a football game and uh, basketball. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. Check pants, make sure you ain't having more accidents going. What the? All right. I'm going to mention it now in case I forget to mention it at the end today. Um, we really need as many of you as can hang around and help set up after service is over because part of our law firm is out of town this week. Another part of our law firm has to be somewhere, so we need to get it done quick so you can get out. If you can hang around and help afterwards, that would be great. Also, probably the most important announcement I've ever made is the Sunday after church suckers that are in my desk. The little dum-dums, that's apropos they're in my desk. The little dum-dum suckers that your children are always been six years. They go in there after church, to get a sucker, and then you're mad at me. My wife started that matter. No, actually, that was okay. Anyway, they're not in that room anymore because they've moved me over here by the front door. So, as you're leaving, the suckers are right there on my desk. So, everybody will know where they are. Some have already found them this morning. They're very, very small. The dumb, dumb suckers are in that little cubicle now. That is now now my office right by the door as you leave. So, y'all awake? All right, very good. Turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. If you haven't done that already, take your Bibles and open Today... After 15 weeks, I'm going to finish this series on what is truth. I know you're thinking, of course, every Sunday, hopefully, we're talking about truth, truth of the Word of God. You'll notice the title of today's message is Truth Applied. Remember last week I was telling you about the church with the walls of Jericho and how all that happened? It always is amazing to me when you listen to people and... Even people who've been in church their whole lives and how little of the Bible they know. For example, reading a story this week about a pastor, went into a meeting with a group of people, and he asked them, he said, how many of you know what the epistles are? And someone wanted to press the pastor, so the why of the apostles. <laughs> and he knew he had a challenge ahead of him, so he went back, and uh, they went through that, and then he went to this board meeting and said, can you believe that they, were, they thought they thought the wives of apostles? And said, well, if they're not the wives of the apostles, whose wives are they? I think it's important that we understand that we need to know what the Word of God says, not what someone's opinion is not how it's manipulated not how it can be used to twist stort, to make people do what you want them to do but speak the truth in love so that people who are not believers will hear the truth and the word of God we've seen as the last couple of weeks God uses to change people's lives we're not saved by reading the Bible but the Bible we'll notice the last couple of weeks scriptures point us to salvation they say here's your need you are a sinner You need a Savior. And in the pages of Scripture, you find that Savior, Jesus Christ. And in history, you find that he's exactly who he said he was. So you take history and you lay it over the words of Scripture and you discover that it's absolute truth. That Jesus is exactly who he said he was. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the bread. I am all of those great I am statements. Bottom line being, I am the way. Because I am the truth. And because Jesus is the truth, he alone can set you free. So we go to the scriptures and they point us to our need. They point us to the remedy for our need. Our need is we need to be saved. The remedy is Jesus came, gave his life, died in our place, rose from the dead, and through grace and mercy offers us eternal life through what he has accomplished. His work, his life, his death, his resurrection. Paul summed up the gospel in 1 Corinthians, writing to the church of Corinth that said, here's the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried again. And because that happened, I can have peace in the midst of turmoil. I can have hope in the midst of chaos. I can know. Whom I have believed can be persuaded. He is able to keep that of committed unto him against day. So that my life is now his. My being exists because I'm in Christ. When I die, I spend eternity in paradise. Reign with the cause. He's given new life. The scriptures point out to us our need. Point us to the remedy. And then we began to look at this idea of them being inspired. We have talked about that last week. And what we're going to look at today is the fact God inspired the words to us. From Genesis through Revelation, the Scriptures are the sacred writings that God has given to His men that He chose. In His last days, He's spoken to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as we study the Scriptures, and we've gone back, back 15 weeks showing that there's proof that we were created. There's proof that there's a God. There's proof that Jesus is God. There's proof that the Bible is true. So today, the title of today's message is what? apply what here's the answer to what we've been doing for 15 weeks okay Randy that's all well and good what am I going to do with it how am I going to apply this truth because that's the bottom line for me as a believer for you as a believer for any person who is a follower of Jesus Christ when I study the word of God he wants me to come away from that saying do this stop doing that Add this, take away that, confess this, deal with that, start doing this, stop doing that. There are things that he wants me to do. James 1.22, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Read Revelation several times. Hear, here, here. I need to l- read it. I need to learn it, study it. I need to internalize it, apply it. If I do not apply it, the rest of it is simply exercise. I need to say, all right, God, what do you want me to do? going forward. So, we're going to do that today. We're going to look at these final two verses, the last part of 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and say, "All right, as we end this series, what is truth?" If nothing else, it's what we need to understand going forward. Every time I hear the Bible read, every time I personally read it, every time I see it somewhere, every time uh, someone is teaching it, every time I hear it being taught, every time I read something that's been taught, I need to understand. I am literally hearing from god god my if i'm a christian god my father even if you're not a christian still when you read the bible you're hearing eternal self-existent omnipotent god of the universe who's saying to you if you're not a christian i'm here i love you i desire to be your father i sent jesus to die in place if you are a christian he's then saying to you take this part of the word and apply it god's word never returns void god's word does its work we've seen over the last few, it's not the dusty old book by 40 guys in language. All kinds of different, all kinds of situations over 1,500 years without contradiction with one concern. There's one God, one medium, God and man, Christ. The incredible living tome to hold your hand. You might read or listen to. You can reject it. And I love that passage looked at in Hebrews. It's power, sharper, two edges, divided. Can divide divided soul, and divided marrow in the joints, bones. So let's begin to look at it. The first thing we're going to look at is that it's profitable. Verse 16, 2 Timothy 3.16, scriptures are profitable for, number one, they're profitable for doctrine. They're profitable for doctrine, what is right, what is right. I never cease to be amazed. The older I get, the more I read and study and the more I listen to Bible teacher quotes. So many of them don't even know what they're doing. They don't even, they're not even teaching the Bible, they're using the Bible to accomplish something. What we should do is let, teach it, let it say what it says, and then leave it alone. It's the eternal word of God, it's not the eternal word of Randy, it's the eternal word of God, and whoever the person is standing behind the pulpit that might be teaching it, teach what it says. Teach what is right. What does the Bible teach? It's profitable for doctrine. The Greek phrase simply means public instruction by someone who is teaching with a focus on getting to the truth. Here's the idea. When I study the Word of God, it teaches us as Christians what is the body of truth that we live our lives by. What is it that we as individuals and then corporately as the body of Christ, what is that body of truth that we confess to? The word confess means agreed to. In other words, if I were to ask you, did Jesus die on the cross? Most of you would say, oh, "Very enthusiastic. Jesus died on the cross. Yes. That's something that we as Christians agree to. That's our body of truth. That's part of it. If I were to say to you, there's one God who manifests himself in three persons. It's called the Trinity. You would say, yay or nay. You would say, yay, if you believe the Bible. That's part of the body of truth. That there's one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But one God, each are 100% God. If I were to say to you, the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. We would say yes, that's something that we agree to. So when you study the Bible, you're studying doctrine, what is right. I don't get to decide for myself, we saw last week. I don't get to decide for myself what it means. It means something. So I am to study it. You are to study it. God gives to the church certain people, like pastor, teachers, and others, elders, and we'll see some more of that before the day is over, to lead, give direction, and to teach the Word of God. Does that mean you shouldn't study it on your own? Of course not. You should study it because God gives you the capacity to do so, both in your own personal life and in the lives of others you might have influence over, whether it's family or others. It's important that we teach it. It teaches us know. I want you to see something. Flip back for a moment to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Obviously written by Paul. Also, obviously written to Timothy, his son in the faith. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Paul writes to Timothy, bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that that now is and of that which is to come. I love this verse for a lot of reasons. One of them is at the very beginning, bodily exercise profits a little, which means I'm not going to waste my time with it. Now, many of you work out and you look really good and I'm impressed. But for those of us that are into being what Jesus wants to be, we don't worry about stuff like that. For example, the year is almost over. Let us hearken back to January of 2012, when we were all making resolutions. What was our resolution for the year for Christ Church? We're going to be what? Thank you. We're going to be fad for God. Faithful, available, teachable. I'd like to say I've held up my end of the bargain. Discount double check. I'm fad for God. Mary and I were watching Vanderbilt in Tennessee yesterday. If you're a Tennessee fan, let us pray. But... We're watching Vanderbilt in Tennessee where the quarterback for Vanderbilt is the brother of Aaron Rodgers who plays quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. You see him, you could tell they look just alike. So we're watching the game and I said, Mary, do you know who that quarterback is? Said, no. I said, that's Aaron Rodgers' brother. She goes, who's Aaron Rodgers? I said, Mary, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Said, okay, is that football? No, she didn't say that. He said, I've never even seen him. I said, Mary, he's a guy that does discount and double check State Farm. She goes, I don't even know what that is. I said, you need to watch sports. You don't find discount and double check on Duck Dynasty. That's what I've discovered. Although that's a pretty good show, by the way. Mary, Mary turned me on to that one, and it's really funny. Discount double check. I said, that's his brother. There you go. Yep, now we get the storage wars. I like Barry. Barry's like me. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he's having fun. And I like those gloves that he wears. They're kind of cool. All right. Look at 1 Timothy 4.8. Body, bodily exercise profits a little. One of the reasons I really seriously love this verse is how much time do we, both in the church and outside the church, but let's focus in the church for a moment. How much time do we spend in the church worried about this life, this body? And we should take care of our body. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to make that. People that run exercise I do admire and used to be able to do that. But besides that, we should take care of ourselves. But here's the point that Paul is making to Timothy and that we need to understand. We'll spend an inordinate amount of time on temporal things, whether it's the body physically or it's money physically or just life in general. Look at the rest of the verse. But my favorite word in the Bible, godliness is profitable for all things. We focus on living our lives for the 70, 80, 90 years, if you're fortunate, that God gives you on the planet. And sometimes we don't even think about eternity other than I'm saved and I'm going and that's it. And God says, listen, you spend all this time worried about this life. Focus on being God, eternal verities, because they're profitable for all things. Notice, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And here's his point, And here's my point. God says, focus on being godly, being like Christ, because that will benefit you, not just when you die, the life to come, but it will also benefit right now. For godliness profitable for all things, right now. For example, i shared share with you about my aunt last week. She thought it would popularly elect your turnout. The- like, have you talked to anybody this week going through that? I talked to, I, I had the rare privilege week speaking to a group of high schools to show them, take the Old Testament scripture, show them how theme, covenant, Old Testament, really a privilege. I love being around young people. And just looking at them, thinking, what is the world? If there is still a world and I'm back, who knows? What we do know is there will always be a challenge. The beauty is the Bible promises us to what's right that the church will prevail. We'll be persecuted, beat up, attacked. You realize, I'm studying this week and listening to Ravi Zacharias greatly and many times sharing of P12 every five minutes. So in the time that I've been standing, they're worried about exercising. Go back to 2 uh, Timothy. We want to focus on doctrine, what's right. Look at Romans, it's there on your, ha- your outline. The Bible is our manual for living. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Scripture, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures. Notice, patience and comfort. You read Leviticus, you get a lot of patience in that you got to have patience to read it, I know that. And sometimes you you read the book of Judges, you get a lot of comfort in the book of Judges. You do if you understand the big picture. But if you don't, if you just read it, it's kind of like, woo, it's depressing. If you see the big picture, that's, that's what God is saying. I'll take care of you. The patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind, one mouth, if we could just get that part right, one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God wants the church to understand who we are. We find out in the Word of God who we are. We find out with correct doctrine what's important and things we can agree to disagree on certain things. We have to be unified, one mind, one mouth, testifying to the person of Jesus Christ, glorifying Him, giving a correct estimate of what He's worth to our world that they'll see in us and through us. And as we love each other, that He's real, that He's real. Why? 50 years from now, most of us ain't going to be here. Some of you will. I promise you, I won't. But is the church of Jesus Christ still going to be going on? If he hadn't come back, still going to be here. Those kids that I was talking to the other day, they're going to be the grandparent. They're going to be trying to pass it on to generation. Jesus, my church, the gate of hell not veil. So we study the scripture because we get hope. We have patience. We're comforted. And then we're unified. to we go out into our world and testify to the person. And secondly, the scriptures are profitable for reproof. What is not right? I'm a very simple person. What is not right, this is an interesting word. It simply means in Greek, it's like you're going to trial. And it's the proof or the evidence that vix. It's kind of like the smoking gun. You can deny everything else, but then when you come to the word of God, it's held open to it. Your heart, God knows all. He lays it all out there. The only other place in the New Testament where this word is used is in Hebrews 11:1, 1, where it talks about evidence, what faith is. The evidence is not seen. We can't see God. He's proven that he's here. When we began this series, one of the first illustrations I had, everybody stand up and pick up your chair, remember? I'm still in trouble, but remember that? I had everybody hold your chair up and do what? You can't see gravity, but guess what? Every one of those chairs fell. Then same thing with God. You can't see him, but you can see what he does. Jesus told Nicodemus, you can't see the wind, but you can sure see, see the leaves flying around. You can see what it does. I can't see God, but I know what he does in my life, and I see what he does in your lives. The lie He's real. So here's reproof. You get into the word of God, and it points out what's not right. It refutes error. So if some knucklehead stands up and says, the Bible says this, and you know because you've studied it and you know the doctrine, you know what it teaches, you could say, no, that's not right. It does not teach that. It teaches this. We have to know what the Bible says. Reproof. It points out what is not right. It puts it to the test. It puts it to the test It provides the evident final verdict. Look at 1 John 4 on your outline. Beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. This was written 2,000 years ago, approximately. You see that? And he's saying, test the spirits. Don't believe every knucklehead that comes along just because he's a good speaker. He holds up the Bible. He's got a banner behind him that says Jesus is Lord and he has his own jet. Check him out. According to what? The word of God. Test spirits. And if someone is preaching, I don't care what they preach and I don't care how big their church might be. If what they're preaching does not testify that Jesus Christ in the flesh is God, it is not biblical. If it testifies that there's any other way that a man might know God, except through the person of Jesus Christ, it is not biblical. If they say to you, there are many ways to God, this is one, it is not biblical. Jesus said, the Bible says over and over, there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, Paul said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. I alone am God. Before Abraham was, I am. He is God. So reproof points out it's not right. Third, it's profitable for correction. I like this one. It doesn't just point out what's wrong. What does it do next? Here's what you need to do to get it right. How to get right. It's the only place in the New Testament this is used in Greek. Here's the picture. Let's say this bottle of water right here. I currently need. Let's say this bottle of water is... That's a new word I made up. You might want to... This bottle of water is sitting on a pedestal. This is what the Greek word means. And it gets knocked off. Correction is... You pick it up. And put it back on the pedestal again. How many of you have ever let God down? Every one of you raise your hand. Okay, okay with those of you who didn't raise your hand I'm now going to point out how you've let God down. We'll start. No I won't do it. All right. It simply means something's been knocked off. It's been knocked off a pedestal. You put it back. That's what scripture will do for you. Now look at this passage in Galatians. I absolutely love it. Powerful. The other picture in Greek is something gets bent and you want to straighten back out. I'll give you a quick example. We're playing Crazy 8s this week with my, me and my granddaughter. We're playing Crazy Eight. We now call it Crazy Emerson, she would call it. So we're playing Crazy Emersons. She loves playing Crazy 8s because I let her win. She's like, grandy you're terrible at this. You never win. So we're playing, and I lay my glasses down on the floor because when I'm laying on the couch, I just lay on the floor next. Emerson decides to jump off the couch. What does she land on? They're not that big, I mean, they just land right here. Where does she land with her full little weight of what, 25, 30 pounds, I do you weigh. She lands right on top of my glasses. I pick them up and I try to put them on my nose and they're like, slightly askew. And I said, Emerson? She goes, Grandy, you lost again. So here's what I do. I take my glasses and I say, Mary says, you better go to Walmart and get that fixed. I said, no, I got this. So I decide I will bend it back to the proper shape. This, these are not the glasses. If you see the other ones, you would know the difference. Now, what was I trying to do? They were bent. What was I trying to do? Straighten them out. That's the Greek word. So something falls off a pedestal, here's how you get it back on. Or something gets bent, here's how you get it back straight. Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, in other words, if a sin is dominating or controlling a fellow believer, you who are spiritual, restore, very key, there's the key word, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, there's the next key word, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. At the end of today's service, we're going to pray for and ordain three new elders in our church. When the primary qualification is to be an elder or a leader in the church, you have to be humble. You have to be humble. It's not about me. It's about what God wants. But I want you to notice this passage. What, God, what Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, to those believers, he's saying to them, if there's someone in your midst that a sin is dominating controlling, you need to go to that brother or a sister in Christ Notice, you who are spiritual, you are in the Word of God, you are growing. Your goal is to restore that person. Not to put them down, not to shun them, not to push them out of the way, but to restore them. The goal is restoration. But notice how you do it. In a spirit of what? Not dude, but man, I love you and I realize I've been there or I could be there, but grace God. Considering yourself... You know you're not perfect. Your goal is to store that brother or sister in Christ. So fulfill the law of Christ by bearing each other's burden. That if you're hurting, sin is dominating you. I'm hurting because you're hurting. And I want what's best for you. I want what's best for the body in Christ. You get into the word of God for doctrine, reproof, for correction. The last one, probably most in perpetual, is instruction in righteousness. How to stay right. How to stay right. Very simple in Greek is that these are the principles of how you should live. It's one thing to get knocked off a pedestal, you get back because you're going to get knocked off again. You get bent, you're going to get straight. But here's the idea. You get into the word of God and you start getting trained how to stay right so that I don't fall off. Let's say Randy was falling off the pedestal every Tuesday. Same pedestal. Just kind of, I was really struck, same pedestal. The more I get into the word of God and the more I'm being trained and I'm applying today's truth applied and I'm applying, maybe I get to the point that instead of every Tuesday, it's every third Tuesday because I'm beginning to get victory in that area because I start, I'm staying away from that causing to fall off the pedestal bent because I'm beginning to apply the word of God and letting it do its work in my life and change me, mold me, shape me to what God wants me to be as opposed to rocking along saying, well, I can help it the way I am. I, here's the here's the idea, structure and righteous. I want to be trained. I want to mature. I've been doing this 29 years. Every week I listen to at least three other preachers. Why? Because I need to be challenged. I need to learn. That's beyond the studying I do myself on my own. I listen to them to be challenged, to be convicted, to be motivated, to understand if I stop learning, probably the only quote I'll ever be remembered for is the day you stop learning is the day you die. Some kid who was in our youth group, Mike Austin, you said it. Senior quote, I said "Both the day, you, the day you stop learning is the day you die. Ralph Lackey is what his mom used to call him. It's a long story. We won't get into that. So he put Ralph Lackey, so they didn't know it was me. I, wanted to, I want to die knowing that I am, was still growing Christ. If you're satisfied, there's something wrong with you. You have to grow. That's what instruction writes. Is. Here's the idea. You get the content from the Word of God, the doctrine. But then when you get the instruction, you get the character. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Christ. I want to be perfect. I will not be, but I want to. I can never satisfy. The word of God will do that. for Why? It's a lie. It's power. It's sharp. It works. It's not a book. I'm speaking. It's the manual. How to do it. From the eternal, omnipotent creator of the universe who is your dad. Randy, stop. Do this. Randy, stop that. Do this. And then by the third time, I realized, you know, this hurts. I'm going to stop doing it. Maybe I'll do it God's way instruction, training, maturing, growing, convicted, corrected, you grow toward caring. I want to be like Christ. So finally, verse 17, and we'll be through. It's not only profitable, but it prepares me to serve. It's my preparation to serve. Verse 17, all scripture is given. We see by inspiration of God, it's profitable. Why? Verse 17, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete. Your translation may say perfect. The word simply means complete or mature. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's two pictures here. I'll give it to you quickly. It's that you're totally fit and thoroughly equipped. I love the picture that's being painted here. it's like this. We were talking earlier about exercising and getting in shape and how God doesn't do that. So don't discount double check. A perfect example. So, but the picture here is this. It's like a hiker going on a trail, going to do something. You need to be physically fit and ready for the trail. Totally fit. But you also better carry with you what? The equipment you need to accomplish what you need to do. So the idea is I get into the Word of God and I'm being trained so I can be totally fit. I can be spiritually in shape to do what God has for me on my trail of life. But I'm also thoroughly equipped because I have the Word of God and I know that it will change lives. You hear it as they respond, to, as they internalize it. Why have I done this series for 15 weeks? And what is truth drives crazy? So many people say they Bible no idea. And they're in church every. The guy behind the pulpit, in many cases, doesn't know. It's not that Randy's any smarter than anybody else. You know me, you know that's not true. I went to over high school in Memphis. I was talking to a preacher two weeks ago, and he said, man, where'd you go to seminary? You don't want to no know the answer to that. It's that word of God in a lie. It's powerful. I've been to church my whole life, my whole life. And it 18, when a guy sat down with the Bible with me, <coughs> and he suddenly, life made sense. i will share a story with pray, and we we'll wrap up today. Years ago, in a, in a Moscow theater, a guy named Alexander Rostovitz, and they had this play. He was playing a role in the play. The play was a sacrilegious play to mock Jesus Christ. The title of the play, Christ in a Tuxedo. His job, Alexander's job, he was going to read two verses from the Sermon on the Mount, take off his gown, and cry out, give me my tuxedo and my top hat. He starts to read, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He started to tremble. Instead of taking off his gown and following the script, he keeps reading Matthew 5. Ignoring coughs off stage, call, foot stamping, fellow act, get back to the script. He just keeps reading Matthew 5. And then he remembered a verse he had learned in the Russian Orthodox Church. And he just cries out to God. He said, before the curtain's lower stage, accepted Jesus. It's truth we're all about. If a church exists not about scripture, then it's not about Jesus. It could call itself church. That's why this series, And we have to say, if you're a believer in Christ, you ought to wait, whatever that might be in line with the If you're not a Christian, I challenge you. Jesus said, I'm the way. We've proven his book is the, when he says I'm the way, what does that mean? Not because Randy said it. Lord, well, we thank you for truth. Thank you that as we've looked at creation, we've looked at the Bible, we've looked at if there even is a God, we looked at is Jesus God. Father, all these things come back to the Bible and proven to be true. So as we read it, we study it, recite it, as we sing it, Lord, I pray it would be about truth. We would leave here, not just as we get up tomorrow. In the next and all that we do, it would be about, Lord, how do you want me to apply truth today? I thank you for the folks that are here. Lord, I pray if there's a non-believer here that would be convicted this moment, I am a sinner, died my sins. I, Lord, save me. And for the believers, Father, we'd challenge be motivated, we'd be moved to serve Christ. And-